invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26, the text that we've been in for a while. I ask that you stand in honor of God's Word. I'll pray. We'll read God's Word, and we'll hear from God. Father, we thank you. And we ask, Lord God, I know I need to ask, that your truth will be planted down deep inside us and cause it to bear fruit. Lord, that's our prayers. We study your word today. Speak to us. Increase us for the glory of your kingdom. We ask it. This is what God says to us in the book of Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. For you recall the freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warn you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step for the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and being one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We've been studying the fruit of the Spirit for the past five months. Um, we've looked at freedom, walking in the Spirit, the acts of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. We have seen how the fruit of the Spirit uh, is first and foremost found in God Himself, namely the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to be able to live a life that is kept in step with the Spirit. It is no less true today as we study gentleness and self-control. The last two in the nine lists of the fruit of the Spirit. I'll be honest, this is a message that is particularly hard for me. I'm keenly aware of my own private and public failings of gentleness and self-control. If my family sitting here, and if my dogs were sitting here too, they would all attest to the same truth. I would ask again forgiveness for the times when my preaching was not done in a spirit of gentleness. And the conversations were the sarcastic word and this, and just flippant remarks were not in gentleness. But I'd also want to thank you, church, that you have been a loving, supporting family to me for the last eight and a half years. I bragged about you to the Samuels, so much to the point that he was probably going, there's just no way this guy's telling the truth. Well, he told me that I was correct. I thank you. I thank you that you are a faithful body, a supportive and a giving body. 
Last week, you gave 1350 like that, to the Samuels. On a holiday weekend, and we still made budget. That's a testimony to you. It's not about money. It's about hearts. It's a testimony of your hearts to this place. So thank you. Well, let's look at what God says today. Gentleness. Gentleness would be defined as what we would normally think it to be. Gentleness is uh, perutes, gentleness of attitude and behavior in contrast with harshness in one's dealings with others. Gentleness, meekness, mildness. Meekness is also uh, interchanged with being gentle. We have said that God is the epitome of the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, God is gentle in nature. God is gentle in nature. Think about that for a second. The only being who has all the power is gentle in nature. David speaks of God's gentle nature without actually using the word gentle, but it's, it's, remember what the, the confession would tell us, that we learn things through good and necessary consequence. What's implied is as authoritative of what's explicitly stated. In Psalm 103, verses 8 to 14, David says this. Perhaps you know these verses, I'm sure. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Hey, that's not only found in Exodus chapter 34. It's repeated throughout Scripture. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as from the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. God is gentle in his dealings with us. Thanks be to God that he is gentle in his dealings with us. We see God's gentleness when he called to Adam in the garden. Remember, Adam sinned. It wasn't a mistake. It was willful, prideful, trying to usurp God from his throne. And when he did that, God in gentleness sought out Adam. Adam was hiding in the garden. You know the story. And then God says to him in Genesis 3, 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Those are gentle words. Words that don't excuse sin. Adam wasn't getting away with anything. But God did not incinerate Adam on the spot when he had every right to. How often do we, how often do I, when somebody wrongs me, just incinerate them with words? I like what Ed Welch says about this. He says, where are you is words of a conversation. Come on, let's sit, let's talk about this. God was inviting Adam into a conversation. 
The prophet Isaiah, when speaking about the greatness of God, of how great God is, says this about God in Isaiah 40, 11, that he, God, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is our God. Thanks be to God for his gentleness towards us. There's many more that we could use. Let's look now at self-control. Self-control is uh, enkrethia, to exercise complete control over one's desires and actions. To control oneself, to exercise self-control, self-control. Like how the Greek is very repetitive. God is self-control. God is self-control. Maybe you would sit there and go, that's weird. I don't know if I, that might, you might even think that's heretical to say. When I say that God is self-control, I do not mean in any way that God struggles to maintain control. God doesn't fight to not act. Everything in the universe is subject to God. So when I say that God is self-control, I don't mean that God struggles in self-control because if God had to struggle... If God had to exercise self-control, it would mean there's a lack within God. And there's nothing lacking in God. He is perfect in his being. When I say God is self-control, what I'm saying is that everything in the universe is under his control. There is not a single molecule in the world that is outside of God's control. There is not a single world leader today that is outside of God's control. There is not a single parent, there's not a, you name it, whoever it is, they are completely and fully under the control of God. Even though when we look at them from the outside, we say, that's not possible. No, it is possible. God is sovereign over the universe. God is self-control. And since we are called by Christ, and sealed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are to exercise gentleness and self-control. This is tough stuff. We are to be gentle and exercise self-control. Concerning being gentle, Jesus said that we learn it from Him. Where do we learn gentleness? We learn it from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke. What's a yoke? That's a little bar that goes across two oxen, two cows as they would plow. Back, you know, they don't, I guess the Amish still plow that way. Um, you want to see, you see, you know, drive out in uh, the Amish country and see them plow in their fields and you'll know what a yoke is. Um, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we learn gentleness from Jesus? We learn it from the study, med- study and meditation of God's word, through prayer, and through fellowship. You take one of those things out of the equation, and you will not learn what God wants you to learn. Take fellowship out, you're not going to learn what God wants you to learn. Take prayer out, you won't learn. Meditation 
study of God's Word, not just the reading of God's Word, the study of God's Word. Should we read God's Word? Yes, but you should study God's Word. How are we to be gentle? We are to be gentle in speech. Isn't this so? This is, this is hard for me. I believe I've made some ground, or as Alistair Begg would say, just a wee bit of progress. I think the NIV says it best in Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. How true is that? Tensions begin to rise. You lash out with a harsh word, an overpowering, a louder word, and what happens? Everything just becomes better. <laughs> no, no. But a gentle answer, a soft-spoken word can change the tide of an argument. Proverbs 25, 15, again, the NIV says, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. In other words, the idea of just putting to an end an argument, just by responding gently not with harshness of words. Paul, writing to Timothy, gives a list of the qualifications of an elder. He writes that the elder must be gentle in nature. And while this is first and foremost to elders, it is also applicable for those who call upon the name of Christ. In this list, he says in 1 Timothy 3.3, he should not be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He says it again in his second letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may become to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Christians should be gentle in correcting their opponents because they would understand that they've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. Just as Jesus understands our frame, he knows that we're dust so we should also with others. Paul, writing to Titus, tells him these are the things that you are to teach in the church. So unless church, you think it was just for elders. Now it's your turn. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Well, there's gossip right there, huh? To avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. James tells us that having God's wisdom is the key to being gentle in nature. James writes this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness, again, the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Think about that. Have you ever thought about your wisdom? When you act out of your nature, 
out of your desires, when I act out of my nature, out of my desires, God says that it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. God doesn't lie. When we go our own way, we are acting in a demonic way. How convicting is that? He says, for while jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, God's wisdom, is first pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. Open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. And it produces a harvest of righteousness. It is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, we are to be gentle in our nature. We are to be gentle with the brother or sister who is caught up in sin. Again, remember, God knows our frame. He knows that our dust. He acts gently towards us. He doesn't excuse sin, but he acts in a gentle manner. Roman, I mean Romans, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Right after the fruit of the Spirit says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, What's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? In a spirit of gentleness. But he says, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We're to be gentle in our nature. We're to be self-controlled in our nature. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, A man without self-control is like a broken-into city and left without walls. In the ancient world, walls are important. In many parts of the world, even today, walls are important. When I was in Mali, Africa, many, many decades ago at this point, every house had walls around it. Glass shards embedded on the top. George Samuel told us about where they live and how they have walls around it to protect. Walls are a source of protection. A city without a wall, anybody can come in and take down. He says a man without self-control, a person without self-control, giving in to every urge, not just outburst of anger, but giving in to every indulgence is like a broken city. We are to grow in exercising the fruit of the Spirit. As we mature in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit should become more and more natural to us. And as it becomes more and more natural to us, we'll actually become more and more aware of how much we don't exercise it. Because even the smallest thing should prick our conscience, where most people would go, what's wrong with you? I remember, man, I was 15, 16 maybe. I might have had my license. Maybe I was 17. But in my church growing up, we were playing football, touch football. And um, the team I was on was destroying the other team. I mean, how else would it be, right? I mean. (laughs) And the pastor of the church, his son, was playing on the opposite team. And it was tag football. And he, he got me on the back with two hands. I remember later that night, he showed up at my house to apologize. I said, for what? He goes, I did that in a spirit of anger. And I thought to myself, 
Wow. At first, I thought he was a weirdo. Like, what's wrong with you? But that has stuck with me. To be so conscious of our attitude and actions that playing a game said, I went too far. Oh, may God's grace, may we be like that. May we grow in our understanding of the fruit of the Spirit. May we grow in acting out, living out the fruit of the Spirit. Peter tells us that we are to. Peter writes to us in a famous passage of 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things. How many things? All things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. How do you get them? Through the knowledge of Him who called us into His own glory and excellence. Through knowledge just by learning facts. Understand, when the Bible says knowledge, it doesn't mean just head knowledge. It means knowledge that is transferred into heart obedience. I know a lot of people who have a lot of facts about God. I've had professors who could just, you name it, the doctors, this and that, and they were probably as far from God as you could imagine because it was all up here. Says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. To become a partaker of the divine nature is to have the fruit of the Spirit, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. He says, For this very reason, we know this is the fruit of the Spirit that God empowers us to will and to act according to His will, but we also have a part. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge. Virtue is just goodness, love, with knowledge, and knowledge with what? Self-control. Self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. There's There's a progression here. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, you don't have these qualities, you're not growing in these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling election and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Understand, never fall means that I'll never not lose control. I'll never not be gentle. It means that I won't fall from God's grace. For in this way, there'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to actively exercise the fruit of the Spirit in gentleness and self-control. And sometimes that might mean in the moment you just got to go and go forward. It might mean walking away and coming back later. Self-control, while it is an exercise, while it can be exercised on the outside, is to be an inward disposition towards glorifying God in word and deed. 
we can have self-control and that we can abide by all the rules. The Pharisees were good at abiding at all the rules, and yet their hearts were far from God. We can say, I'm going to, have, I'm going to exercise self-control in eating and drinking or words or this or that. And you go by and you live by a list of rules. If self-control is a list of rules as opposed to glorifying God, it's not going to accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says this. He goes, why, essentially, are you living by these rules? Why do you think these rules are going to help you? Listen to what he says. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive to the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Those are wrong. Anything wrong with rules? Absolutely wrong. Rules are valuable. What do you think the Ten Commandments are? He says, These rules indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Don't ever think, because I act on the outside a certain way that I've achieved something, that I've arrived. That is, a, that is a good. But if it doesn't make it to the heart, what good does it have? What good is it ultimately? You know, it was this very idea from Martin Luther who lived by rules. He wore horsehair shirts, highly uncomfortable. Prior to being in the ministry, I was an electrician, and I remember working in a house a Sears kit house, believe it or not. I actually had Sears built and burned into the beam. Uh, and, and the insulation was horsehair. And I had to crawl around. It was horrible. Itchy beyond what you could imagine. Martin Luther would whip himself. He would starve himself to the point. Even the other monks were like, dude, you're like taking us really too far. He was hoping all these rules would stop his flesh the thoughts in his mind. But it wasn't until he read in the book of Hosea that the just shall live by faith. He says it was then as as though the gates of heaven were open to him. And he was free. He understood what it meant to live to the glory of God in all that he does. I didn't give you the full definition of gentleness. We may fail at gentleness outwardly, but I think there's a greater way in which we fail in gentleness. It's gentleness as an inward disposition towards God. As an inward disposition towards God. Let me read for you this definition, perutes, meekness, but not in the man's outward behavior only, nor in his relations to his fellow man or his mere natural disposition. Rather, it is an inwrought grace of the soul and the expressions of it are primarily towards God. It is that attitude of, attitude of spirit we accept God's dealing with us as good and do not dispute or resist. 
In other words, it's the idea of contentment, of being content. Yesterday, the men's breakfast, recommend for you a book, The Practice of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. We talked about contentment and thankfulness. And in this book, Jerry Bridges, highly respected, godly man, writes this. The idea of contentment in the Bible is most often associated with possessions or money. But there are other areas of life in which we need to be content. After possessions, probably the most common need is to learn contentment with our place in society or in the body of Christ. Still a third area that demands our practice of contentment is the providence of God. In such varied circumstances as physical limitations and afflictions, privations, unpleasant neighbors, or living situations, trials, and even persecutions. Of course, that list can go on and on. These circumstances often cause the natural man to murmur and complain and to question the goodness of God in his life. So when I talk about a gentleness as an inward disposition to God, an inwrought grace of the soul displayed towards God, it doesn't mean that if you are in an abusive situation, just say, well, that's the Lord's will. No, get out. That's the Lord's will. It's not saying, so I got the diagnosis of cancer. It's the Lord's will. I'm not going to do anything about it. No, do something about it. When we say this gentleness, it's not saying just accept everything. Paul told the slave, if you can earn your freedom, get free. There's nothing wrong with improving your situation in life. I just want to make that clear. Remember again what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you're going through a hard time right now. Life is sideways, as my good friend Matt would say, or it's gone squirrely. You got the bad diagnosis. Not to change things, but my test all came back negative, just so you know. Well, maybe, amen. That's good and bad at the same time. James says this about our trials and our tribulations. I can't help but think of Johnny Erickson Tata. What an amazing woman of God. What a solid theologian, actually, she is. Because she dealt with this head on. No pun intended, by the way. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Remember our study of James? Remember how much we love this passage? (laughs) James, what's wrong with you? No, James is absolutely right. An inward disposition to the soul. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its perf- his full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Lacks wisdom. What is first of all the wisdom of God? It's gentle. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Jesus displayed this for us in the garden. Jesus was coming to a trial. The greatest trial that any human has ever faced. Not to downplay cancer and sicknesses and all those things that many of you have dealt with. For you, it was real and it was the greatest trial of your life. But nobody, none of us have ever faced separation from the Father. Jesus, we know, in the garden, in great distress of the soul, in deep prayer, Drops of blood, which is a real medical condition, apparently. You can be just so intense and stressed that your capillaries bust and you sweat blood. He's saying, Father, again, if I, can, if I, Father, if this can be changed, let it be changed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Surrendering to the Father's will. I'm going to rest in your goodness. I think this was really displayed in Jesus before Pilate, where Jesus took such gentleness of inward disposition that his father was in control, that his father had allowed this, that he was able to be poignant, truthful, and at peace. If there was ever a moment in human history, if I could say, God, if I could just go back in time and see the expression on somebody's face, I think this is the moment for me. Where Jesus has already been before Pilate. He's already been flogged. He's already been beaten. And and, and he comes out. Pilate comes back to Jesus and he says to him, you don't speak to me? Listen to what he says. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? True words. He actually did. Here's Jesus' understanding of being gentle in disposition towards the Father, understanding that the God was in control. His Father was in control of this world. He answered to him, You would have no authority over me unless it had been granted to you from above. I would have loved to see Pilate's face. I don't know about you, but at that point, if I was Pilate, like, listen, you're, you're free, dude. Get out of here. Right? But God had a better plan. Therefore, he delivered me over to you as the greater sin. If we have a gentle disposition towards God, and that God is good, that God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that he is all these things in his nature. And David writes in Psalm 112, 17, that if I have this gentle disposition towards God, that I have full faith and trust in God, Right? How many things do we have full faith and trust in? You go to the bank and what's that little sign say? Backed by the full faith and trust of the United States government. I laugh every time I see that sign. (laughs) Really? It's really the Bank of China, if we're going to be honest. But anyways, I don't trust my government. 
That's not a, listen, don't take that to be. It's a human institution which God instituted, which we are to be obedient to. But our full faith and trust should be in God. We have full faith and trust in God. The one who is grounded in the Lord, Psalm 112, 17 says this, He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. I got the diagnosis. It's not good news. But I'm not afraid because I have a loving Heavenly Father who before the world began placed me in His palm and said, I will watch over you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The sun will not harm you. The moon will not harm you. I cover you with my wings. My banner over you is love. No one's going to take you from my hand. Not this diagnosis. Not this leader. Not this, you name it. They're not going to accomplish it. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. When we have this attitude... We'll be able to do as Paul encouraged the church in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there's a process to this. It doesn't just God's just going to give you this. Oh, I got this inward peace. No. Rejoicing, thankfulness, prayer, supplication. Those are key things to do so that what? What will happen? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, I think there's another way in which we fail to have a gentle disposition towards God. At least this is one way in which I know I struggle. It's that in accepting what God says about you. So many of us live in guilt and shame. Never able to shake the past. Never able to shake what has happened to us or what we've done. I'm going to recommend two books to you again. This book should be very familiar, Good and Angry. Another small book. Literally, it's called The Small Book. A small book about why we hide from Ed Welch, how Jesus rescues us from insecurity, regret, failure, and shame. Highly recommend it to you. Highly recommend it to you. We feel guilt. And the enemy, the accuser of our soul, comes to us and tells us, yeah, remember? Know what you did? I know what you did. I saw you. Or our own self, we don't let our own self be free. We need to go near to the throne of grace. Hebrews 10.22, again in the NIV, says this, Let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. 
if you have a guilty conscience and you've gone to the Lord, you've asked for forgiveness, you've made things right as best you could, live in what God says about you in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. As far as the east is from the west, we've already read. And to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The guilt and the shame, as far as God is concerned, is gone. The consequences, yes, they may be there. If you struggle with your own heart condemning you, which is what I do, I'll be honest. You think I'm getting better at it? It's how you can, one way you can pray for me. But it's always in the background, always like, oh man, just, and you're trying. Understand that God is greater than your heart. 1 John 3, 19 to 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And I love this. And He knows everything. He knows what I don't know. He knows that when I'm condemning myself, He goes, hold on, you don't know the full picture here. I do. Why don't you trust me? I know you don't. What are we really doing when we don't accept what God says? We're telling God, you are insufficient to take care of me. You are not able to. You don't know how to. Accept for yourself if you're dealing with it. What God says about you. Paul, we'll end with this. Writing to the church in Corinth, and that was one messed up church. I mean, messed up church. Paul has a whole list of sins. Things, he goes, boom, boom, with sexual immorality, this and that. You name it, it was within the list. And Paul says this about them, and God says it about us. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you. And such were some of you. What great words. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's who you are. That's who God says. To live and not accepting the name of which God has given to you is to live in rebellion to God's graciousness. We're going to partake of the table here. You deal with guilt, you deal with shame, things that have happened to you, things you've done, whatever it would be. You're looking at the future and you're not sure that God's going to be able to take care of it. I want you to hold that cup. Well, hold that bread and hold that cup. And you can be assured Jesus has it covered. Jesus has wiped the slate clean. Jesus is providential. Remember what the word provident means. Providence means 
to provide beforehand. He has already provided beforehand whatever we may need. Let's live with a gentle attitude towards God. Father, thank you that you do not treat us according to our sins. Oh, thank you, Lord. Our sins are an automatic death sentence. And yet you choose mercy. You choose to cleanse. You choose to justify. Oh, Father, forgive us for not living as we are, children of the living God. Forgive us, Lord, for not being gentle in our dealings with each other, our dealings with others, our dealings with you. Forgive us for not being in in control, Lord God, not trusting that you have control of the world. Forgive us for taking matters into our own hands. Help us, Lord God, to honor you by accepting what you say and what you call us. by living according to how you empower us. We ask it for your glory and for our good. Amen.